Hey, podcast family. In this episode, I have somebody who's been on this show before. Last time I asked you about shrooms. You remember that, Dr. Ba? Yes, I do. Did you know what shrooms were? I did not, but now I do. You're killing me. <laughs> but yesterday, yesterday uh, in The Lancet, a paper came out, and which we're going to review now. Emergency birth control is a big deal to try to prevent unintended pregnancies, yes? Yes. Okay. Well, why would, just, and we haven't prepared for this, right? I haven't given you any info. Okay, no. So why would, how does an NSAID, like a COX-2 inhibitor, why would that have anything to do with ovulation? Any ideas? I'm guessing it has to do something with inflammation. Right? Totally. You would think it has to do completely with inflammation. The answer is yes, but no. So we're going to explain how the addition of a COX-2 medication to levonorgestrel, not olipristol, but specifically to plan B, makes it much more effective to prevent ovulation. So a big deal now as emergency birth control obviously is in the spotlight, as it should be. So can adding a COX-2 inhibitor to levonorgestrel increase effectiveness? The answer is yes. So Dr. Bach, we'll listen in today. Awesome. All right. Thanks, guys. We'll get to the data in just a moment. Medicine moves real fast. We're here to help us all keep up the pace. This is Clinical Pearls. Just about two months ago in the Journal of Forensic Nursing, I published alongside the Sexual Assault Nurse Examiner Program uh, at our institution here at Texas A&M University at the School of Nursing. I published the, the understanding of how emergency contraception actually works. And we surveyed uh, forensic nurses, all right? So these were trained professionals who did sexual assault uh, nurse investigations and and we asked how does emergency birth control work, whether it is progesterone driven or as an anti-progestin, as a progestin modulator like olipristol, making the point that these two agents are not abortifacient, right? These prevent uh, ovulation, hence why they're emergency contraception, right? So they don't have anything to do with an established pregnancy. Well, what we found was that still in 2023, there's still a lot of misunderstanding, a lot of myths, a lot of of just false data out there uh, or false understandings uh, on how emergency oral birth control actually works. So to be very clear, they work by preventing ovulation. Once the LH surge is at its peak and ovulation has occurred, uh, then no form of oral emergency birth control is going to work, whether it is progesterone-based or it's a progesterone a receptor modulator like olipristol. If you're interested in that survey that was published in the Journal of Forensic Nursing, the title is Forensic Nurses Understanding of Emergency Contraception Mechanisms Implications for Access to Emergency Contraception. Uh, super interesting that, that we still have this, this kind of weird perception of this uh, wonderful medication, especially now when prevention of unplanned or a mistimed pregnancy uh, is such a big deal, right? So all to say, any new data that comes out on increasing the effectiveness of oral emergency birth control is a big deal. 
which leads us to this next publication that just came out yesterday. Now, point of reference, we're doing this on August the 17th, 2023, and in The Lancet on August the 16th, 2023, this new RCT was uh, published. Super interesting, but we have to go through a couple of caveats towards the end as to why this may not uh, be generalizable to everyone and why it may not still be ready for prime time, although the data is super interesting and it is based on biological plausibility. All right. So uh, there's, there's a lot of caveats here to this, but, but I welcome any data on emergency birth control. Uh-oh, I was just told that that publication from the Journal of Forensic Nursing was not two months ago. Sorry, it was in March of 2023. Okay, fine. So it was five months ago. Uh, yeah, well, you know, two months, three months, what are you going to do? It was not long ago, right? And I put the reference on that in our reference sheet, of course. But of course, anything that increases the effectiveness of oral emergency birth control is obviously welcome, especially remember, since in the US, levonorgestrel, uh, you know, plan B is available over the counter, or you know, I should say without a prescription, because sometimes it's not so easy, like just get it off the shelf. Sometimes they're behind the little lock thing, which is annoying in and of itself, but it's to prevent theft. So I get that. But that could be another barrier to care. Um, but, but the idea is it's without prescription and it is without age restriction. So that's fantastic. But remember, of course, that there is some data that in patients above a certain BMI, that levonorgestrel may not be that effective compared to ulipristol. Ulipristol seems to be much more forgiving. Plus, ulipristol tends to still work during the LH surge, but at its peak, once LH surge is at its max, and definitely once ovulation has occurred, then neither medication is, is going to work, all right? Uh, and of course, the sooner that you take it after the act of unprotected or misprotected, like a broken condom, uh, intercourse, then the more effective it is. So that's the first rule is try to take it as soon as possible, which is why having plan B, uh, you know, available in, in a, uh, in a medicine cabinet uh, at home is vital if, if that's the, 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 you know, the behavior that you're doing, if you're having unprotected intercourse or just, you know, anticipate issues happening because that is life. Then having Plan B uh, on hand, and I'm talking, not, I'm not putting this just on on the biological female. I mean, hey, biological males need to take some responsibility here too. Uh, and, and having that available in case there's a a I don't know what to call it, what mishap. Uh, then then taking it as soon as possible obviously increases the effect. But remember that both Plan B and Ulipristol work. By on completely different mechanisms. Plan B or levonorgestrel is a synthetic progestin-based emergency contraceptive. If given before ovulation, which is the goal, it provides negative feedback and it suppresses pituitary signals for ovulation. And if given after ovulation has occurred, then as we've already stated, and here's a clinical pearl, levonorgestrel is ineffective. Ulipristol, on the other hand, which is Ella, is a progesterone receptor modulator. And the mechanism of action there, it does work a little bit later in the process because it can still work uh, during the LH surge, but not at the LH peak, uh, is that it also stuns basically ovulation and keeps the egg uh, from being released uh, or, or pushes the can down the road, all right? So that's the thing is that both Plan B and ulipristol, it's not like it halts ovulation altogether. It just delays ovulation down the road. So ideally, 
the, the sperm no longer have residual ability to fertilize. Remember that sperm stays in the upper female reproductive tract for up to five days. So what it's doing is it's pushing down that window of ovulation so that the egg either uh, does disintegrate or pushes it down, down the road about five days, right? So they delay ovulation and or prevent it altogether. It, both mechanisms are, are likely, um, with the majority effect likely being pushing ovulation down the road so that sperm lose I- its ability to fertilize. Remembering, of course, that sperm stays in the female upper reproductive tract, as we've already stated, for five days. But what does that have to do with a COX-2 inhibitor, right, with this kind of NSAID? Well, NSAIDs do have a role in ovulation. So as Dr. Bach said in the intro, I think it's inflammation. Well, yes and no, because inflammation is prostaglandin-driven, but it's not inflammation in, in the classic word of the sense. It has everything to do with disrupting uh, prostaglandin release and synthesis. Okay, so follow me here. Here's a mechanism of action of how things like meloxicam and uh, peroxicam uh, actually work to help prevent ovulation. And it's not just a, a theory. This has been shown uh, on bench data. You see, for ovulation to occur, the oocyte has to be launched from the launching pad from the cumulus expansion, right? So you remember, it literally is like a rocket on a launching pad. The little capsule at the top of the rocket is the egg. Y'all get that, right? And then as ovulation occurs, as a graphene follicle ruptures and that pressure increases, poof, the little uh, oocyte is released from the launching pad. Well, that process is prostaglandin-mediated. So if you give a COX-2 inhibitor, then that release from the launching pad uh, misfires, is that wild or what? Like, I've never heard of that. Well, it, it is a thing. I mean, that, that is published where uh, a certain amount, there is a dose dependency here of, of NSAIDs, specifically COX-2 inhibitors, do affect ovulation and do affect release of the oocyte uh, from the cumulus. This new Lancet publication is is making a lot of, of headlines, as it should, because it's super interesting, although, remember, it's not yet ready for prime time, and I'll explain why in a minute. But this concept, I love how something comes out, and we're like, ooh, nobody thought of that ever before. This is not a new concept. One, one of the studies that actually looked at this, at the effect of COX-2 on ovulation, came out met way over 10 years ago, actually came out in in December of 2006 in the Journal of of Biological Chemistry. The title of this publication was Cyclooxygenase 2 Derived Prostaglandin E Directs Oocyte Maturation by Differentially Influencing Multiple Signaling Pathways. That's a title for you right there, huh? I mean, they couldn't even just put in the COX-2. They had to put in the cyclooxygenase 2. All to say, this report back in 2006 does show that ovulation is mediated by COX-2-derived prostaglandin E. So if you can prevent that, then you can definitely impact the success of ovulation. So this raises another question because that study that we just referenced in 2006 was actually not as emergency birth control. That was just the opposite. That's how does ovulation actually happen? They're like, oh, hey, COX-2 has a role in this because it it makes prostaglandin E and, and that helps push ovulation to happen. So then the next step, of course, in that in that thought process was, well, why don't we use that as emergency birth control? Well, and the thought is, uh, a COX-2 inhibition is great, but probably not enough to stand as a standalone mechanism. So what, what happened after that is that two other studies came out looking to see if the addition of an NSAID of that COX-2 inhibition 
could actually improve the efficacy of emergency birth control. And there's been two of these pilot studies that are out there that are based on pharmacodynamics, right? So there's not actually based on, on true ovulation or the ability to prevent pregnancy, but there were pharmacodynamic studies. Okay, let's take a look at one of these studies that came out of the journal Contraception back in 2013. Now, this publication is by Bratch, and the title is Ulipristal Acetate Prevents Ovulation More Effectively Than Levonorgestrel, Analysis of Pooled Data from Three Randomized Trials of Emergency Contraceptive Regimens. All of that's the title. The short of it is they took a look at either Ulipristal by itself, uh, Levonorgestrel by itself, or Levonorgestrel with a COX-2 inhibitor. Now, in this case, it was meloxicam. And remember, this was based on uh, pharmacokinetics and, and looking to see if a leading follicle, which was defined as greater than 18 millimeters, uh, was released or not, right? So it didn't actually look at clinical effectiveness, like you know, number of pregnancy tests that were that were prevented. This was based on looking at a dominant follicle and seeing which one worked best. As we've said earlier, this study did show that the way that these medications worked was by delaying rupture, delaying ovulation for at least five days. Okay, so that's the majority of the mechanism of action. We said that sometimes it prevents it altogether, but but really we're talking about just delaying ovulation, kicking the can. Down the road for about five days. And it showed that Ulipristal by itself actually worked the best as long as it was taken before the LH peak. And then next in effectiveness was levonorgestrel with meloxicam. And the least effective was levonorgestrel by itself. Is that interesting or what? So the addition of meloxicam actually increased the effectiveness of levonorgestrel and helped prevent a follicle rupture over uh, levonorgestrel by itself. So again, this new Lancet publication is good because it actually looked at the clinical outcome, not just on, on, on a bench study like this one in 2013, but the concept of that, the point I'm trying to make here is that the concept is not new. All right, everyone. Now you should be thinking, wait a minute, why did this Lancet new publication that came out yesterday and this one that we just covered from contraception in 2013, why are they always trying to push levonorgestrel? I mean, why can't Ulipristol get some love, right? I mean, if, if, if adding a COX-2 inhibitor works for levonorgestrel, why is it not being looked at for a progesterone receptor modulator? Well, that also has been done, and that came out just last year in BMJ uh, Sexual and Reproductive Health in the journal from, from uh, British Medical Journal. And the title of this publication is Potential Candidate for Oral Pericordial Contraception Evaluating Ulipristal Acetate Plus COX-2 Inhibitor for Ovulation Disruption. So it's not just looking to add a COX-2 inhibitor to levonorgestrel, but it was studied as well in Ulipristal. Pristol, and that came out last year. This study also was not an RCT. It was called a basically a pilot study. It was an exploratory study to see if this would work, okay? This was a prospective study of matched menstrual cycles, one baseline cycle, and then one treatment cycle of Ulipristol 30 milligrams plus meloxicam 30 milligrams given just prior to ovulation. And the primary outcome was not a clinical result, right? So it's not the, the number of, of pregnancy tests prevented. Uh, it was once again looking to see if, if a follicle, a mature follicle, prevented ovulation for, uh, for five days. And what they found was that ulipristol plus the COX-2 inhibitor also disrupted ovulation, and it did it at the peak luteal surge 
rather than olipristol not working uh, at all. So, so yes, there is data that COX-2 inhibition isn't just for levonorgestrel. It seems to be a thing as well for olipristol, even at the peak of LH. Now, of course, once ovulation happens, no medication is going to work because these work to prevent ovulation. So if the horse already leaves the gate, you can't get the horse back, all right? So it just keeps the gate closed so that the horse doesn't leave the barn. Does that make, look, it's Texas, everything is a horse analogy. But, but you get what I'm saying. So yes, it's COX-2 inhibition, increase the effectiveness, not just of levonorgestrel, but in this 2022 publication, it seemed to also augment the effect of olipristol, which is already uh, a little bit more forgiving than plan B. All right, that's a lot of groundwork. Now that we've laid that stage, let's get into what we really wanted to talk about, which was this new RCT from The Lancet published on August the 16, 2023. And the title of this publication is Oral Emergency Contraception with Levonorgestrel Plus Paroxicam, a Randomized Double-Blind Placebo-Controlled Trial. Okay, everyone. So before we get into this new data in The Lancet by Raymond Lee et al., a quick word about the two exploratory studies that we just stated, that we just covered, all right? Those two studies, remember, were to look at follicular disruption uh, as a pharmacokinetic model, not at pregnancy prevention. Remember, they didn't have a clinical outcome. But this new publication from The Lancet does have that as the clinical outcome. This is why this is very important. This RCT wanted to expand those two exploratory trials and actually look at at the clinical inhibition of ovulation. And so they added that COX-2 inhibitor, remember this one again was paroxicam, to the standard 1.5 milligram dose of levonorgestrel, our plan B one step. The authors chose paroxicam over something else because paroxicam is very unique. It does have a very long half-life compared to other COX-2 inhibitors. So that's the reason they chose Feldine paroxicam over something else. The authors included a total of 860 patients who are age 18 years or older who presented at one location, and this was out of Hong Kong, and they all requested levonorgestrel emergency contraception within the last 72 hours from unprotected intercourse, all right? So they was all by label, it's the same medication, and they fell in within the 72-hour mark. All participants had a negative pregnancy test, had a history of regular menses, and no other medical issues. Now, once they gave consent, the study group, the methods were a one-to-one randomization to either placebo or 40 milligrams of paroxicam given on top of their levonorgestrel one step. That's the 1.5 milligrams. So it was 430 patients in one group and 430 patients in the other group. Now, here's a big clinical pearl and why this may not be generalizable to everyone just as of yet, all right? Again, the results are good. I'm going to show you what the results are in a minute. But but here's the one caveat. 97% of these subjects, remember, this was Hong Kong, so 97% were Chinese, which the body is the body. That's not the issue. But it has to do with the weights of the subject. The weights of the participants here 
were all low BMI. Only 9% of the subjects in the paroxicam group and 11% of those who had levonorgestrel by themselves had a BMI of over 26 uh, kilograms per meter square. Okay, in other words, their weights over 70 kilos was very rare. These were all skinny. So 9% of the paroxicam group and 11% in the placebo group who had placebo plus plan B alone, only those percentages had a BMI of over 26. Both study groups had a follow-up appointment one to two weeks after the next expected cycle to assess pregnancy status. The primary outcome was the proportion of pregnancies prevented out of those expected based on conception probabilities by cycle relative to the day of ovulation. Ooh, don't you love that? That's right out of the manuscript. All to say is they did probability calculations. They looked at monthly fecundity. Remember that? Fecundability and fecundity. So the the typical rate of conception and then how much that went down based on use of either levonorgestrel by itself or levonorgestrel with paroxicam. All right, everyone, let's just get right to the punch here. Here's what happened. It did work. The authors found significantly fewer pregnancies with the active combination of paroxicam and levonorgestrel, which was one pregnancy in the combination group and seven pregnancies in the levonorgestrel plus placebo group. The percentages were 0.2% with paroxicam and 1.7% with levonorgestrel plus placebo. Now, for you statistician types, first of all, y'all are weird. No, thank God for you because I'm so thankful for statisticians who do all of that math stuff because I don't do any of that. I know what they mean, but I hate doing that. Anyway, if you want to know, well, what's the odds ratio of that? Well, it's 0.2. And the 95% confidence interval was way under 1. It was 0.02 up to 0.91. So super effective. And the p-value between the groups was 0.036. In other words, statistically significant. And it was clinically significant as well. In terms of the absolute percentage reduction in the expected pregnancies, the combination of levonorgestrel plus paroxicam was 94.7% effective compared to 63.4% effective for just levonorgestrel plus the placebo. Now here's another clinical pearl and this is something that also might limit its application to the general population, okay? The mean time from unprotected intercourse to treatment was around 24 hours, which is great. And there was no difference uh, in between the two groups with when they took the medication. So it was about 24 hours. Remember that plan B is effective. The earlier that you take it, the better, but it's effective within 72 hours. So the question is, well, is it still this effective at uh, 48 hours? Is it 72 hours? It's unclear. But but you can see that the, the pregnancy rate of 0.2% compared to 1.7% uh, is, is pretty dramatic. There was no significant adverse effects between the two groups, and there was no statistical difference between groups in the deviation of next menstrual period from the expected menstrual pattern. So they both had, you know, the the expected delay uh, in their period, and one was not more than the other. No statistical difference between groups in the deviation of the next menstrual period. So, podcast families, we get ready to wrap this up. The authors concluded, quote, oral paroxicam 40 milligrams co-administered with levonorgestrel improved the efficacy of emergency contraception in our study. 
end quote. But remember, again, there are these caveats. This was in patients who had a weight less than 70 kilos. They all took it within 24 hours. And really what we need is another RCT. Look, guys, if you're an intern, if you're a second-year OBGYN resident, you want a great publication, ooh, do this, because I'm surely not doing it. I don't have the patience for this kind of design, but this would be a great study. Here's how this multi-layered study should look. First camp, and, and all of this is, of course, in women presenting for emergency contraception. The first is traditional, just regular old levonorgestrel plan B. The next arm is, as we've already seen, levonorgestrel plus plan B for replication and validation of results. The third arm would be ulipristal. And then the fourth arm would be ulipristal plus uh, the COX-2 inhibitor. So that's really what we need. Four different arms, traditional levonorgestrel, levonorgestrel plus COX-2 inhibitor, Ulipristol by itself, and then Ulipristol plus the COX-2 inhibitor. All four arms, so this is a multi-layered study, that would be great. So now we get to see how they work individually. You get to do a sub-analysis, one compared to the other, and you get to compare Ulipristol plus COX-2 compared to levonorgestrel plus COX-2. So a lot of questions still remain. So clinically, is this adoptable? Of course. The problem is that paroxicam is by prescription. And so while Oh, levonorgestrel in the U.S. is available without a prescription. You still need a prescription for paroxicam. So do we give that out and tell patients to have that at bedside at 40 milligrams? Uh, so how does that work? Will this eventually be co-packaged where paroxicam would come along with a plan B? And are they taken exactly together? Can be taken two hours apart, four hours apart? What's the minimum time uh, between dosages? All of these questions still remain. Remember, paroxicam does have a very long half-life, so it, it's, it's okay to not take immediately together, but ideally should be taken within one to two hours so that they both peak at the same time. So there's still some questions out there, but nonetheless, this is not completely novel because as we mentioned back uh, a little while ago, back in 2006, and then again in 2012, this has already been done, at least on a bench model, and this does hold promise. So if we could get to 90, almost 95% effectiveness uh, with that combination uh, of, of plan B and a COX-2 inhibitor, then I think we should do that. All right, podcast family, that brings us to a wrap. As is true to our passion here at Clinical Pearls, we want to bring you stuff that's right hot off the press. So we just summarized and and dove into a publication from The Lancet that just came out in print within the last 24 hours. So this was released on August the 16th, 2023. And the name of this publication, again, is Oral Emergency Contraception with Levonorgestrel Plus Paroxicam, a randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled trial. As always, we're thankful for you, and we're glad that you're part of our podcast community, and we'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.